Luke 6.38 from the Living Bible reads as follows. For if you give, you will get your gift in return, or rather will return to you in full and overflowing measure, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more and running over. Whatever measure you use to give, large or small, will be used to measure what is given back to you. The Amplified Version reads this way. Give and gifts will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, they will pour into the pouch formed by the bosom of your robe and used as a bag. For the same measure you deal out, with the measure you use when you confer benefits on others, it will be measured back to you. The source, therefore, of receiving is a seed sown. God revealed this principle in Genesis chapter 8, Law of Sowing and Reaping. God utilized this principle when Jesus was crucified. He sowed his son to reap many sons and daughters. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the principles, uh, Lord, that are revealed in Scripture and that exist here um, on this earth. And we appreciate uh, understanding the principles because we can operate them in our own lives and benefit our families and uh, benefit our communities with it. And what I appreciate about it, Lord, is that there is no cap. Whatever we sow is what we reap, and you always uh, give it back in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And then you also cause men to give to our bosom. So, Father, I thank you for that principle. The only limit of that principle is uh, my usage of the principle. So we thank you for that. Thank you for allowing us to understand that at a spirit level, in our, in our own personal lives, that we can incarnate it in our lives. So, Father, we give you the praise. Now, dear Holy Spirit, I pray that you open up the eyes of our understanding, that we might be able to see what you're saying to us, that we might be able to hear it and become doers of your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, I began with sharing the first principle, which is in Luke 8.36, it shares about the principle that we reap according to that which we sow. It comes back in the same measure. If we reap an apple, we're not going to receive a grape or a grapefruit. If we sow kindness, even if the person that we're giving kindness to doesn't accept it or doesn't reciprocate in kind, God's going to have that come back to us one way or another. It's going to come back. So we need to trust the principle. Work the principle. Say that with me. Work the principle. Say to your neighbor, work God's word. It's not just hear it, it's doing God's word. And, and I love that in this month of rededication, I want to rededicate myself to trusting God and trusting his promises, trusting who he is. His person is faithful. He is a faithful God. So his principles are faithful. Now, he never said that we wouldn't go through problems or challenges. But I've come to understand challenges in a different light. I no longer hate challenges because I realize that challenges is what makes me. It what, it's what matures me. It what... It's what hones me and sharpens me. Without the challenges of life, I would not be who I am today. Honestly, I would not be who I am today. It took the difficult times in life to draw the greatness out of me. Now, I'm not saying I'm big and bad and great. What I'm saying is that there was something that God deposited in me that needed to be shared in this life. But it couldn't have come out without the challenges of life, without the difficulties of life, without that big bad boss. Without, without problem, that crisis, whether it be emotional, whether it be financial, whatever it may be, it took those challenges that, that caused me to dig deeper and allow my trust to arise, my faith and my confidence in God to arise. It's amazing how important challenges are to human beings. 
Right now they have, they have a new program. Uh, it's called The Biggest Loser, and other programs are coming out at the same time where people who are challenged with their weight and, and they actually get them on a program and they work them over, man. And the one who wins is the one that loses the most percentage of weight during, during a, I don't know, six, eight-week period of, of time. But I love the fact in the beginning they all start with the same thing. It's hard to take that first step, to lift that first weight. It's hard. It's a drudgery. Some of them complain. Others barf. Others fall on the floor. I mean, it's terrible in the beginning. And they suffer. And the trainers are merciless. Absolutely merciless while they're on the floor and you they think they're dying. You get up, you can do this, stop it. You've been doing this all your life. It's time to turn up. And they're like, please, mercy, no mercy here. Get up, get up. Amazing. And yet, four to five weeks later, you see them, they're jogging. I think the fifth or the sixth week, they have them do a marathon. They do a marathon. And at the end of whatever amount of weeks, maybe two, three months, you see him go down from 400 pounds down to 180 pounds. Amazing. It can be done. But it would not have happened had they not gone through the crisis of the trainer <laughs> and that process of, of redefining their, their habits, redefining their disciplines. If something new became a priority, whereas before their comfort was a, their priority, uh, their, their habit of eating food, or whatever that your habit may be, that was your priority. Suddenly you shifted and, and you had the crisis because your body fought against it. So I don't want to change. Uh, well, you're changing because the greater one is telling you to change. Who's the greater one? My mind, who I really am. I'm telling you, flesh, we're going to fight here and I'm going to win because I'm tired of you. I'm tired of giving in to your desires and your appetites. It's time that you get disciplined. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. But then after a couple of weeks and months, the new you arises. And says, what have you done? So I made a decision, and I stuck by it. And I went through the crisis, and I was able to overcome. Hallelujah. So the first principle is very important. Second principle is that for the first fruit is holy, if the first fruit is holy, the lump or the rest of the branches are also holy. So we need to know the tithe or the first fruit or that which we do or implement first determines the rest of the way, the rest of the branches, whatever it may be, the rest of your life. What your disciplines are or the disciplines that you set in place determine the rest of your life, your habits. Now the six to eight habits that you have on a daily and weekly basis determine your life. Determine how you view life, how you attack life or retreat from life. So that is why the tithe and the first fruit are so important. Tithe, as we spoke last week, is tenth. And the, the tenth in our numerical system determines the rest of, of all of the numbers that exist. Because you count up to ten, then what's the number after ten? Ten and one. And what's after twenty? 10, 10, and 1. See, it's all a derivative of 10. You count up to 10, then you count to 10 again, then you count to 10 again. So 10 symbolizes the whole. And our tithe determines us. That represents us. So say this with me. My tithe represents me. It just doesn't represent your salary. The, you know, it represents your life. It represents your priorities. And that's why the first fruit is so important. Because when um, God's people came into the land, that's what God told them. God said, when you first come to the land, I want you as a congregation to come and honor me with the first. It wasn't that he needed it because he's the one that made it. 
But he wanted to see what they were going to do once he put a blessing in their hands. Because as God's people, they were going to represent him on earth. So if he could trust them, then he could give them all the resources so they can be then an extension of his love to the rest of the world. Amen. And what happens with us is many times God puts resources in our hands and the very next week we don't go to church anymore. <laughs> the very next week we forget God. Oh, yeah, yeah, all my bills are paid. Oh, I'm all right. And then come Sunday, I'm too busy, man. I'm tired. I need to take a six months vacation. That's what we do. We forget God. Because we think that having things means now we are in control. We don't need to trust anybody else because we have the stuff. But you don't realize stuff can be here today and gone tomorrow. I knew a millionaire that told me personally, sat down, I sat down with him in the living room, and he tells me, I know what it is to, to lose $1 million in one day in the stock market. $1 million in one day? Are you out of your mind? He says, no, you don't understand. He says, the principles I use to make money sometimes go awry, and instead of it doing what I expected, suddenly an unexpected shift happen, and I lose it all. But you're not freaking out. He says, no, I don't freak out. He says, I understand the principles of money. So I'll make the million again. Whoa, that is so cool. There are principles, even of finances. And I'm, I'm starting to follow him. I, I, I am literally starting to follow these things. I ask God every day, give me wisdom. And instead of throwing my money away, I'm keeping some of it, using it as a seed. And I'm looking right now at the economy. I'm saying, okay, what's prospering right now? This is a sidebar. It's not there. What is prospering right now? What's doing well? Gold. Absolutely. Why is gold doing well? Who said it? Jerry, why is gold doing well? It's, it's not as popular as money? Gold is a standard for the ages. See, here's what happens. Pastor Gwen just said dollar goes down. What happens is whenever a, an economy is challenged, people, the investors run to something that they could trust in. And for eons, gold has always been seen as, as a measure of, of real wealth. So what happens is they use it as a hedge. So today, by its very nature, if you are an investor instead of consumer, I'm running to the mall after church and I'm going to spend every little thing I have. And of course, I have credit cards too. You see, if, you, if that's not your mindset, if your mindset is, here I have an extra $100, and I want to make this $100, make $200 for my children's children. Amen. See, I'm already boring some of you out. You say, how dare you? But this is the way these guys get wealthy, these men and women. They look at places where they could park their money. You know, if you park your money in a checking account, you know how much money you make now? Close to nothing. And whatever little you do make, then they tax that. Oh, I made 50 cents. The government says, well, I want 25 of it. <laughs> See, so when we understand, when we are investors, we'll look at things that increase. Go, uh, um, when was the last time you filled your car with uh, gas? Are you noticing the prices are going up? Well, guess what? The stocks are also going up. So you have to look at things as, as an investor. You do your research. So what happens is six months or a year from now, everybody else is crying, oh, my God, I don't got enough. And meanwhile, you're saying... I just finished making $10,000, and I didn't even have to do anything about it. The money I parked in these particular investments, this one made a little less, but this one went up, this one went up, this one went up. What ends up happening at the end of the year, you're more wealthier. 
But who cares about these things? Let's live and eat and dance and celebrate just for today because tomorrow we die. That's, what many, that's how many people live. But yet God says as long as we're in here, on earth, occupy. Take territory. Be a blessing. And it says leave an inheritance to your children's children. I just finished putting a lot of responsibility on you. God says a righteous man and righteous woman too leaves an inheritance. That means you're commanded not to be broke, busted, poor, and disgusted. That means you're commanded to take a little portion and put it away for grandchild, for great-grandchild. And when you die and they're in your funeral, you're with Jesus, your grandchildren are shouting and celebrating. Then I go, oh my God, he's gone, she's gone. They're crying because you're gone, but they're also celebrating. Why? Because grandpa left an inheritance to his children's children. Oh, come on, people, don't get sad about that. Get excited. You know, we need to have homegoing services, celebrations. People need to be dancing in your funeral. You're not getting it. You're not getting it. See, so what's first in your life? What is your priority? That's what will determine the rest of your, your days, the rest of your, your I guess, your, your increase. Amen? Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1 through 11. I'm not going to read it because we read it last week, but it, it talks about how the people of God went before the Lord and they worshiped God with their offering. So keep on going until we, we finish that one. Yeah, keep on going. Keep on, uh, yeah, okay, keep on, keep on. All right. The scriptures also speak of specific abundant blessings in our future. When we take the posture of understanding that we're partnering with God. You need to know that. Say that with me. We're partnering with God. Your ministry is in a, in, in a, how can I say, in a roundabout way, you partnering with God, getting God's love and his provision to other people that don't know that he wants to get them provision, salvation, uh, and, and whatever else he has for them. That you're partnering with God. So, yeah, but I'm not a pastor. Well, you might not have my function, but you're still a minister. You're a minister of reconciliation. You help to reconcile people back to God. You might reconcile people back to God in your business, in your place of employment. Maybe you're a mother, but you have friends during the week, so you can have a small group and bring some ladies uh, to your home and pray together, have tea or coffee, and, 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 and bless them with the word of the Lord. So what happens is, when we honor God and put Him first, it says here, when we honor Him with the first fruit. See, it's a decision. The decision, I'm putting God first. It says here, God will bless your barns. Now notice, in... Um, Malachi chapter 3, we're commanded to make sure that God's bonds are filled. Church, ministry, because ministry needs to give. Bibles, resources, whatever it may be. The doors always need to be open for, for people to receive ministry. But God says, when you make sure you take care of that, I will make sure your barns are filled with plenty. So that's not the focus of the gospel. The focus of the gospel is us preaching, us giving his word to others so they could also know the word of the Lord. But a side benefit is God says, I'll take care of you. Will you go through challenges? Yes. Will you, will you go through persecutions? Yes. But I'll make sure that you, know, you fight the good fight, but I'm with you every step of the way, and I will provide for all of your need according to my riches and glory, he says. Amen. Next verse. Ezekiel 44. The best of all the first fruit of any kind, every sacrifice of any kind from all of your sacrifices shall be the priest. Why the priest? Because you're taking it to the house of the Lord. And the priests in the Old Testament, they were not allowed to go out and have a secular job. Their job was the house of the Lord. 
They had to minister in the house of the Lord. They had to take care of everything. So the priests would eat from the offerings that the people gave because they were not allowed to go out there and work. But then it says, when the people did that, it causes, or you shall give it to the priest, the first of your ground meal, to cause a blessing to rest on your house. So you see how we can cause a blessing to rest on our house? By making sure our priorities are right. Next. So the significance of the first fruit principle is, number one, we're putting God first. And I need to say something. Um, Jessica, I believe, shared something very important, this issue of being on time. In every industry, you're expected to be on time. I, I would, I would, I would uh, go further. I would say it is a very important, mature habit to get to places early. Don't get to places on time. Get to places early. There's several reasons why you want to do that. Number one, it takes the stress off your life when you get up earlier. There's, there's a habit we get into, and it's something I had to battle with, some, something many of you had to battle with. You, you want to wait till the last moment because you, know, you don't want to be there more time than you have to. But it's a faulty thinking because you'll always end up with Murphy. You know who Murphy is? Murphy created a law that if something could go wrong, it will go wrong. You're going to find that whenever you're waiting for the last minute, all the trains will fight against you. All the lights will go against you. And you'll also find your, your anxiety raising and raising and going up. I don't know if you're like me, but if I'm going to a place late, I'm going, there's stupid lights, stupid lights. And my wife is going, calma, calma, calma. You know. Yeah. So I've realized and I've learned it's best to get to places early. But there's another reason. When, you're go when you get to places early, you're honoring the person you made an appointment with. Think about it. Now, you can get there late. Something might happen, obviously. Last week, one of my guys got stuck in a, in, in a bridge for half an hour. So he was late. But I know this guy. He's never late. So when he got there late, I said, something must have happened. Sure enough. Because I know his tendency. But here's the next thing. When you get to place on time, you meet that person you have an appointment with, you are actually respecting that person's time. When you get there late, you are disrespecting the person. What does that say to us when we get to church late? Who are we disrespecting? Nobody's answering me, so I'll ask myself. Hey, Vic, what happens when you get to church late? Who, who are the ones that uh, you're disrespecting? God. Why God? He's watching? Okay. But didn't we make an appointment with him? To worship him. We set out a time to honor him and worship him. But we're also honoring our own co-laborers. We're we're I'm sorry. We're dishonoring our own co-laborers. We're dishonoring the body. There are people that prepared for the appointment. Whether it be Sunday school, whether it be the worship team, whether it be the ushers and deacons, whether, whatever it may be. So we need to understand. We need to take this to the next level. Yeah, but you know, other people, I don't care what other people think. I don't, I don't care what other people do. I need to be on time, and I need to come to places early. This is my decision, because I need to honor those who I am making an appointment with. And the highest level of honor you need to give to who? God. Almighty God. And in the body of Christ. Number three, you also set a pattern for others. Uh-oh. You set a pattern for others. So as we are fixing ourselves this year, 2011, we're setting a pattern for others. You are somebody's minister. So if you're always in church late, what are you teaching those that you're going to mentor? <clears throat> I'm not getting any amends. 
Minister Lewis, you want to finish this message? I think I'm in trouble by now. Deacon Al, did you, did, did, are you ready today? Did you come in with security in mind? Because I need protection. I got some people giving me the malocchio right now. You know, the malocchio, the, the evil eye, you know, giving the evil eye. No, but think about it. We honor our secular bosses by being there on time. We honor whatever we honor, but are we honoring Almighty God? Hallelujah. And then, of course, Jessica mentioned some other points of the importance of being here, how you miss out on something that God is doing. So here's my point. My point is, and I learned this a while ago, when I start a meeting, those of you who meet with me regularly, you know I start on time. I don't play with the time. You know why? Our tendency is, let's wait a couple of more minutes for those that are... No, I'm not, I won't do that. You know why? I am dishonoring those that came on time. If I continue to wait for the... Uh-oh. <laughs> now I got plain faces just, just staring at me. I got the blank look. You know it's after the blank look, right? So I honor those that are on time. And then those that came late. Now, some will come late legitimately. The train was late or they really set out to come early, but things happen. I understand that. But if you do it every week, it's no longer the train's fault. It's no longer the car's fault. It's no longer the red lights. It is you, sir, ma'am, you have an issue and you need to correct it. Year 2011, the year to get to church early. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> and you can't blame me, this was Jessica's fault. She's the one that brought the point up. <laughs> no, excellent point. I, I just, I celebrate. When you said that, I went, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I just, I'm sorry, I didn't want to jump out of the seat and... And interrupt you. So we're putting God first. We're, we're seeking the kingdom of God first. And he desires to fill our bonds for ministry. And note, look how powerful the first fruit is. As an example, Adam and Eve were the first fruit of mankind. And their decision affected the rest of humanity to this day. So Jesus came as a man after a different order, after a different priesthood. And he was born not from sin because his father was almighty God. And when he died on the cross, he died for you and for me. So now it's a new breed of humanity. All those that came to Jesus and received them as Lord and Savior are born again into a new family. Even though this flesh belongs to the Adamic family, our spirit man now belongs to the new family in Christ. So uh, Jesus corrected that which Adam went, uh, did wrong. First fruit. One first fruit blew it. The next first fruit fixed it. Wow. Important. Third principle there are times when the congregations worship, I'm sorry, that's a typo. The congregations worship the Lord together as they bring their offerings before the Lord and ensure that there was provision in his house. So as a congregation, there are times we take a season and, and as a congregation, we offer worship to the Lord and we also offer a tangible offering in the presence of God as a congregation, as a first fruit. So what will happen is... Exodus 34, 26, the first of the first fruits of your ground, you shall bring it to the house of the Lord your God. Notice, where? Where do we bring the first fruit? See, we bring it to the house of the Lord. That's where he wants it, because that's the place where you sow it. You take that specific seed and you sow it. Next verse, Exodus 25, the Lord spoke to Moses. Who spoke to Moses? The Lord. The Lord taught this principle to Moses. He said, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. Every man shall give it willingly with his heart and you shall take 
his offering. That offering, the, the offering that they bring. Notice, God said, bring it with a willing heart. In other words, he didn't care the amount. That was not the issue. The issue was with a willing heart. See, so whatever we do in the kingdom of God, whether you're an usher, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you have a small group, whether you minister on the job, whatever it may be, you have a bus ministry. I don't care what it is. Do it with all of your heart. Because if you do it with all your heart, God will register it. He will appreciate it. He will accept it as an offering in his presence. If you're a student in school, do that as unto the Lord. You're working in a job, do that as unto the Lord. And God will receive it as an offering and then he'll work through you. He'll cause you to be a blessing. Next. First Chronicles, oh, I'm sorry, it's, it, bring it back. First Chronicles 21, God required an offering from David at one point to stop a plague. Isn't it interesting? If you read that verse, verses 18 through 25, David actually went and he, he brought an offering unto the Lord and suddenly the plague stopped. There are times when our offering will stop something that has been affecting your life. Amazing to me. Because we're breaking the spirit of greed. We're breaking that spirit of mammon. We're breaking principles in our family, the structure that have not prospered. How many of you, you know, you, you get upset and frustrated. Say, man, if my father was a multimillionaire, wouldn't have been cool. I, I, wouldn't, I, I, wouldn't be, I would have been able to study. I well, you know, you might be the one that might be the, the switch that will turn on to cause your future generations to now have that level of, of provision to be able to, to get these children that, that spark that they need, that edge that they need, that advantage that they need. You might be the one. Because your parents might not have understood this principle. Or they were in a situation that they did their best. And they sowed the seed so that you may be the person that might take it to the next level. They did their best. They struggled. They fought. They came here. Many of, many of our parents came here from other nations to get a better life. Because where they were at, it just wasn't cutting it. And you're the one. You are their harvest. For them to see you doing better blesses their heart. Hallelujah. For, uh, for, uh, 1 Chronicles 29. David prepared an offering before the Lord. And he offered it publicly. Then all the people also willingly offered with a perfect heart. That's the other principle, that it's not just the people that offer it, but the leaders also offered it. See, so next week as a church, that's what we're going to do. I mean, every week we offer worship to the Lord, and I join you. I'm not hiding. I'm here right there with you. You guys are lifting up your hands, so am I. You guys are dancing on, on the Lord once every six months, so am I. <laughs> hey, if you do it every week, I'll be there with you. But the bottom line is, take a look. David prepared an offering. He was there. Actually, his offering, you know what it was? Half a billion dollars. That's a lot of money. That would be cool if somebody comes here, let's say, uh, A-Rod, you know, gets another extension of three years or something like that. They give him like another $150 It would be cool if he comes to church on Sunday. You know why? Not because I want to see him. Hey, listen, I'll see him on TV. But I love it because he's coming with the tithe. So there will be extra jumping in the house of the Lord. Hey. <laughs> no. The, the truth of the matter is we're the ones that make it happen. A 10 here, a 50 here, a 7 here. That's why the lights are on. That's why we have cushiony seats. Praise the Lord. In other parts of the world, I've been to places, you don't get a cushiony seat. And they worship the Lord all day. We get upset if it's a, more than an hour and a half. But then people be worshiping for four to eight hours. And if you go teach in India, it's all day from the morning to night. You know what's their seat? The ground. 
and they stay there. And when you want to finish, they go, no, give us more, give us more, pastor. We need more. I go, whoa. You never feel the hunger as if you, when you go to another country. Okay, next. Mark 10.21, Jesus required an offering from a rich young ruler for the ministry to the poor. The, the rich young ruler came up to him and says, Lord, what do I need? I says, well, do you know the, the law? You know the Ten Commandments? Yeah, I follow them from my youth. He says, hmm. okay, this is what you need. Sell all, take all your money, sell it, your lands, everything, give it to the poor. The guy goes, I can't do that. He <laughs> says, that's what you need. You're asking me what you need. See, the, the young man had to break a spirit in him. He thought he was more elite. He thought by his much, the much money, the, 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 the money that he had, all that tangible good, that created a prestige. It created an image. And God challenged that. It's not about that. You want a relationship with me? Let me kill the systems that are keeping you from me. He wasn't trying to separate him from his money. He was trying to get his heart. Because that's what God will do. One challenge for somebody is not a challenge for another. God will get you where it hurts. You know why it hurts? Because you're used to that. You, you control it. You want it. God, I love you, but don't take this from me. And that's what he'll go after. God gave Abram a son called Isaac. Then as Isaac was growing up, God said, isn't it wonderful? Your son is growing up. Good. Give him to me. And Abram said, you want my son? My only son? The one that you promised would be the one that would give me the inheritance? He said, yep, I want that very one. Okay. I know your voice. You promised me that that boy would be my inheritance. So I'm going to give him to you. But I know you'll have to resurrect him because you promised me that through him, I'll have the inheritance. So he went to give up the son, put him on the altar, lifted up the knife, and God said, no, don't worry. Stop it. I just wanted to test your heart. He says, now I'm going to bless you like you've never, ever dreamed of it. Not only are you going to be the father of that boy, but you're going to become the father of many nations. I'm changing your name today. So he changed it from Abram to Abraham, father of many nations. Why? Because he could trust him. God's not trying to take it away from you. He's trying to flow through you, but he just wants to make sure that he can trust you. So he must put you in the place where you will go through the difficulty. Where you'll experience that thing. Mm, okay, I got the stuff now. Should I leave God? Should I stay with God? And he'll, trust, he'll test what your priorities are. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul instructs the churches in Corinth to receive offerings in advance so that no offerings would need to be taken when it arrived. Why? Because he was going to take those offerings and bring it over to Jerusalem because there was a famine in Jerusalem. Next. Okay. We can see then, it's God's plan for his kingdom to advance by the generation, uh, gener uh, excuse me, generosity of God's people. But he built into that plan, and I love this, he built into the plan the process of getting grace and favor over to us, to those that would stand in the gap, trust and obey God, and be the resource centers that God requires. Wow, I love that. That's why we cannot be ashamed. Don't ever be ashamed about providing for the work of the Lord. Don't ever be ashamed about being part of ministry. The devil always tries to hinder God's people from having provision. Why do you think most churches, I'm not going to say most, but many churches, they never have enough. Never have enough. And then when they try, they always get criticized. It's because if a church has provision, what is the church going to do? Build more churches. Send out more missionaries. Educate our children in the ways of the Lord. What is one of the things that God said about Abraham? I can trust Abraham. I know he's going to teach his children about the ways of the Lord. That's one of the testimonies of Abraham. 
that God himself trusted Abraham to teach his kids about Almighty God and to walk in the ways of the Lord. So the truth that is revealed will break away the spirit of poverty, will break away that spirit of mammon. Mammon means uh, that spirit that controls money. It's, it's, it's a ruling spirit. You see it in Hollywood. You see it in entertainment. You see it in sports, how money rules. You see it downtown in Wall Street. How much good can Wall Street do? Yet they choose to hoard it upon themselves. Some of these guys, it's insane the amount of money that they bring in. And all that money, we're the ones that are putting it in. And we think they're investing it for us. They're keeping it to themselves. One of the most exaggerated examples, can we say Madoff? Yeah. We was not the only one. He's just the one that got caught. We also recognize that, that giving is a part of our worship. Abraham and David worshipped with their offerings. They worshipped with their offerings. They worshipped with their offerings. That was actually a part of their worship. As we worship, what are some of the things we do? What are some of the things we do? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Surrender. It's, it's, it's like a wave offering. In the Old Testament, they would take bread and wave it before the Lord. That's provision. And they're, they're appreciating God's provision. We're lifting up the hands and surrender. What else we do? We sing, we clap our hands. That can be an offering unto the Lord. Sometimes we dance unto the Lord as a symbol of celebration. We make a joyful noise, ah, before the, God, before the Lord. Yes, we do that. And, and the Lord receives that. But sometimes worship is taking some of what God gives and placing it at his altar. Why? Because we are saying to him even this, which is the most important thing that we have. I mean, think about it. What would people do for $10 million today? They'll kill, lie, cheat, steal. Really, really. And most scams, watch this, most scams are based on that greed factor we have. Or that hope of getting the big, the big one, right? Somebody comes up to you and says, listen, it's a secret here. Look, I have a bag filled with money. Um, I, I need to share it with somebody. Can you help me with this? Say, yeah, sure. Okay, but I need to trust you, so you need to give me $1,000 of your money. If you give me $1,000, I'll try. You know, then I could give you some. And they do it, and they catch people over and over because people's desire to get that quick hit. We don't want to save anymore. We don't want to do the long-term planning, which the book of Proverbs says, save little by little and you will have plenty. We don't believe in that. We want the big kill. I want that lotto. I know it. I dreamt that number for 20 years. It's going to happen. I know it. I know God gave me the six numbers. They don't want to save. They don't want to prep. They don't want to work hard to make their money increase. They don't want to do research. They don't want to build a business. They just want... They want to reap without sowing. My God. Deuteronomy 26, the Lord instructed Israel to bring the first fruit of the offering and worship there, and worship there. So notice, you, you can see over and over that there is uh, this pattern of worship as a church. Next, Job 22, pay our vows, decree a thing, and it shall be established to us, and light shall shine on our ways. We can ask, and we shall receive. Solomon at one point was asked by God, what did he want? What do you want? But it only happened after he had offered an offering. And God saw his heart. 
And you know what he asked for? He asked for the six numbers of the lotto. What did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. He said, God, I'm a young ruler. I really, really don't know how to rule these people. Would you give me wisdom? And it pleased God so much. He says, not only am I going to give you the wisdom, but I'm going to make you the richest man that ever lived. See, God can make that. I mean, a heartbeat, boom. And, and he was. He became the richest man that ever lived. This man had more money than Rockefeller and Trump and all of them put together. Amazing. And God blessed him with him. But why? Because the, the man had a right heart before God. Next. David made vows when he was even in trouble. And the Lord brought him out of his troubles and brought him into a wealthy place. Psalm 66. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But you, Lord, thou brought us into a wealthy place. I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay my vows. I will watch my lips, the, the, the things that my lips have uttered. And my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. See, he vowed to the Lord when he was in trouble. And then the Lord delivered him and he paid his vows. He went before the Lord and he worshipped there. Next. David also not only paid his vows, but he paid his vows among folk that believed just like him. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear them. That's why it's important that from time to time we come together and we do that. And we do that as an act of worship. And then it releases a blessing not only over the congregation, but it releases a blessing over you and over your household. Wow. So as we practice these principles... Then we come into that spirit of expectancy. We come into that spirit of, of, of or, or that attitude of expectancy. You know God's going to start sending provision and wisdom. And, and that's what I start looking for. I start looking for opportunities. You might be in a workplace. Look for opportunities. Look for wisdom. God's going to open up the door to get you to learn maybe a, a new system. That could help you to be on top of your business. Maybe you're in college. Maybe you're in high school. God will help you with math. He'll help you with all that you need. He'll, he'll, he'll bring you into that place. Open up the eyes of your understanding. And that's one of the things I do. This morning, as uh, they were giving the class, they were talking about when you get up first in the morning, what do you do? What do you give to the Lord first? Do you read scripture in the morning? I ask for wisdom. I need wisdom. Because I don't know what's going to happen during the day. And I actively expect wisdom to come to me. When I go into the meetings, I prepare, but I'm asking God for wisdom. And invariably, during the meeting, I get, I don't know what it is, but I get a sudden surge of energy and a sudden surge of just knowing something. I go, mm, yeah. And I share it. And then the people look, they go, that was a good point. And I love it that when you make the point, then throughout the whole meeting, they're referencing it. I love that. I go, oh, that's right. Yeah. Amen. Glory. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's such a good feeling that they would repeat. That's the greatest form of flattery. When people repeat what you're saying or even mimic you or even joke about you, that's the greatest form of flattery. But that comes when the wisdom of God is flowing through you. They'll recognize. They'll say, whoa. Sometimes I'll say something. The guys will go, whoa. I go, right. Amen. Glory to God. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I'm very grateful that I could add to that particular meeting. Amen. Next. Mark 10, 29. Jesus answered and he said this. So verily I say to you, there is no man that has left house, nor brethren, nor sisters, nor father, nor mother, nor wife, nor children, nor lands for my sake and the gospels, but that he would receive a hundredfold now in this time. Now, God is not telling you to leave your mother and father. What happens in the gospel is by necessity, sometimes persecution comes to you. 
Sometimes your own family will disown you, especially in these countries that are non-Christian. If you decide to come to Christ, your whole family will disown you. Some will go to the point of wanting to murder you. And they'll even call it an honor killing if you embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, there are times where you're going to lose your father, your mother. There are times you'll lose your home, uh, brother and sister. Some, sometimes family disowns you, pushes you out. You're one of those holy, oh man, we can't party anymore. What are you going to do now? You know you can't do this stuff anymore. You're going to be a oh man. And they walk away from you. You lose your friends. But there's no one that loses it that would not receive a hundredfold now in this time, in this life. So for every friend I lose because I'm deciding to live for God, God will give me godly friends. And then he says he'll give me a hundredfold of those who I lose. Amen. And then it says with brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, they'll always come because people are going to hate you. They're going to hate your Christianity. They're going to hate your faith. But praise God, God sets a table in the presence of my enemies. So I have to leave gang. I have to leave a gang, you know, whatever gang it may be. And that's a whole, not my family, but now I got a new family. Take a look. Look around. That's a family right there. And right down the block, that's another part of your family. Right down the block, that's another part of your family. You receive a hundredfold of that which you lose. Then it says, and in the world to come, eternal life. See, so he gives us eternal life, but he wants to also bless us now in this life. There is a hundredfold benefit that God gives you in this life. Now, he's not talking about prospering you now. He's talking about eternal life. Yeah, he says that. He'll give it to you. But also, in this life, you'll also receive a hundredfold of everything you lose because of you coming to Christ. Next. So, sacrificial offerings get his attention. Whatever we sacrifice, he multiplies it back to us. I shared with you earlier about Cornelius. He would give and he'd pray and God set it up as a memorial and God set up a special delivery evangelist. I, I love it. God actually called Peter on another side of town. He said, Peter, yes, Lord. He said, I need to go cross town. I want you to do a special visitation for Cornelius. Who's Cornelius? He needs the gospel. He loves me, but he doesn't know the gospel. So and it's interesting, God could not preach to him the, the gospel directly. He couldn't send an angel to preach the gospel directly because God set it up that we're the ones that preach it. Amen. Angels can only help us in preaching the gospel. So the angel went to him and said, listen, you need to call for a guy named Peter across town because he's got words for you. But he could not preach to him. So it took the, the uh, I guess, the, the bishop, Bishop Peter. He became a great bishop. But at that time, he was uh, Apostle Peter. So Apostle Peter got up by the word of the Lord, went over to Cornelius and said, listen, Cornelius, there's something special happening in heaven with regards to you, man. I was sent directly from the Lord Jesus. Now I got to talk to you about the gospel. And as he's talking with him, his whole family gets filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. He didn't even he said, let's have an altar meeting. Amen. Anybody believe in Christ? Come down now. We'll pray for you. We'll lay hands out for you. Oh, yeah. And you'll get you filled with the Holy Ghost. No, Peter was just talking. And suddenly, bam, the Spirit of God filled all of them. His entire home was filled with the Spirit of God. But when we look at his heart, what he was practicing, even before knowing the Lord Jesus, he was still going to God. God, I just, I don't know what to do. But here I'm helping the poor. I just know in my innate self that this is a good thing for me to do. And God saw that man and he reached out to him. Now, begs the question, who is God sending you to? See, you are somebody's answer. They don't know the word yet. That's right. 
But the reason why they don't know the word yet is God's knocking on your door and saying, my son, my daughter, I need to send a special delivery message to so-and-so because I know they love me, but they don't know me yet. So I need you to get the word over to them. I got like two amens. Everybody else is, oh. Amen. So watch this. Persecution is just a sign that the hundredfold return is on its way. Because it says we leave house, mother, and brothers. We'll receive everything with persecution. So when we get persecuted, don't worry about it. That's just a sign that you're on the right track. Amen. I mean, you give me an address, you tell me to make a left at the signpost, go to 195th Street, make a right. So I look for the signpost. When I go to the signpost, I know I'm not lost. Persecution breaks out. I know that the blessing's on the way. Amen. Oh, you don't have to praise God. Come on, stop shouting so hard. I can't get the word across. <laughs> praise the Lord. Next. So God defends our sacrifices. Jesus, watch this. Jesus defended the woman with the alabaster box. This woman, while Jesus is teaching, she takes an alabaster box with very expensive perfume. Take a whole year of worth of salary to actually. So she breaks it open and pours it on his feet. And then she takes her hair. She had heavy hair, a lot of hair. And then she starts wiping the perfume off of his feet. So you know what Jesus does? He keeps on teaching. So Judas, who was in charge of the treasury, and we all know that he was a thief, he looks at that situation, he's going, oh my God, a whole year's worth of money down the drain. Jesus, what's the matter with this woman? Look at this woman. You know, we could, we could have given a whole year's worth of salary to the poor. And Jesus said, I have no problem with it. She's preparing me for my burial. You guys need to understand the principle here. She lavished worship on me. I have no problem. I'm receiving this. I'm having a great time here. The one who had the trouble with it, the one that had the problem with was a thief. You'll find that many people that criticize when the church is coming into a, a place of health, a place of prosperity, is the ones that are hating it, they're hating on it. And they're hypocrites because most of them are doing their underhanded stuff and they're making lots and tons and tons of money off of people, but yet when they see the church coming up in a community, becoming effective once again, be becoming authoritative, taking dominion, Amen. In their communities and bringing Christ back to community. Ah, oh, that church, all they're asking about is money. Yeah, yeah. But you, if you look at their life, hypocrita. Amen. Hypocrites. Watch the spirit. That's right. That's right. Jesus was the first fruit. He offered his sacrifice at the highest point of the city for all to see. Wow. Let me give you the last, the last section. When we give our first fruit, we're putting God first above everything else, including money and possessions. So what we're doing is rebooting our priorities, and we're putting God first. And the most important thing for you to put first is your heart. Who's seated in the throne of your heart? Is it yourself? Is it your surrogate family? Maybe it's a gang, maybe, whatever it may be. Who's sitting first in your heart? Is it your business? Is it your children? Is it your husband? Is it your wife? Whatever, that, that needs to be replaced. And Jesus needs to be in the center. Two, we're breaking the spirit of greed and covetousness. Three, we're doing it publicly among our brethren. And among the principalities, because angels and demons are seeing, this, uh, they're seeing it. Thus we set in motion a process that the devil cannot stop. Number four, 
We're testifying of the goodness of God. Look at what the Lord has done. Yeah, but it's recession. Look at what the Lord has done. I'm not going to focus on what Channel 7 Eyewitness News is saying. I'm going to focus on the fact that God said he's the owner of all the gold and the silver. And if one door closes, not a problem. God will open up other doors. God will give me wisdom, concepts, ideas, relationships that will cause me to be able to tentacle in to where the provision is. Sometimes the brook runs dry, but thank God that there's another brook down the road. And God will show me the signpost to the other brook. Glory to God. We're sowing to a more beneficial future because we're targeting our seed specifically with knowledge of what God said the seed will do. Number six, we're ensuring that God will cause a blessing to rest upon our households. And seven, we're initiating a process that will release great provision in the house of the Lord. And this is pleasing to God. Finally, we're partnering with the Father and His love for mankind as we take our resources and sow it into somebody else's destiny. The greatest ministry was found in the cross. Amen. Jesus died for us as a first fruit for a new breed of men and women. He didn't die for himself. He died for us. So before anything, I need to challenge you right now. Is he first in your life? As we de rededicate, are, are we rededicated to Almighty God? Are we that living sacrifice that they were talking about in Sunday school? Are we that living sacrifice? Is my life a living sacrifice? As people see me, do they see Jesus? As people see me, does that, oh man, every time I deal with that person, it just reminds me that I got to get back to God. Or when people see you, hey, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, you're the same old boy I've known all my life. Are you a secret service Christian? Yeah, because there's people that are Christian, but nobody in the world knows it. No, Jesus said you got to let your light shine before men. That the world can see and come to saving faith in Christ. So let's all stand. Father, I pray for your people this moment. And I am so grateful to you for your word and for your principles. And I'm so grateful that you've given me the privilege to be family with all my brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I am so honored, Lord God, to belong to this wonderful family. I pray, Lord God, that you would touch each and every one of our hearts and we, that you might allow us to see and be repositioned that you would be first in our lives. And as we rededicate our hearts, our minds in this year, 2011, grant us wisdom and understanding <clears throat> that you may be first in our lives, that today we might be able to take a look at our hearts and if there's anything that's there, that's first place, that we might remove it and put you first, oh God. And if there's anyone here that has never come to you yet, Lord Jesus, and said, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to be my Savior. Father, I pray that you open up their eyes, that they might see it's not about them being, quote unquote, a church member, but it's about a relationship with you. That they might understand the benefit that you want to bestow upon them when you died on the cross. That you want them to experience life and life in abundance. Grant us wisdom, I pray, in this. And we thank you for the greatest gift of all, the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus. So I pray that you touch your people here today. Hallelujah! Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Only you, only you can do this. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you, Lord God, for opening up the doors that we could be all that you called us to be. No more limits.
all the old things done away with all things are new we are new in Christ new creations hallelujah after the second Adam the last Adam new creations oh thank you Lord amen you need to know that you need to leave this place knowing that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me whatever the enemy meant for evil God has turned it around and he's going to bring it about for my good and that of my family amen I mean I feel a strong witness in my spirit that a God is saying to his people today it's a new time for you I am doing a new thing I am doing a new thing and, and, and I'm also sensing in my spirit that you had been marked by something and God says I'm removing it now you were declared to be something you were declared that you're only going to go here but God said I'm taking it out of the way I'm removing that hallelujah I'm going to take you higher God says I'm taking you higher this year hallelujah God's about ready to release revelation and wisdom and insight to you I'm also hearing right now in my spirit there's a new sense of boldness that's going to come upon you. You're no longer going to see life the way you've seen it. You're no longer going to see yourself the way you've seen yourself. But God's going to raise up the bar. He's going to raise up your image. He's going to raise up your vision. He's going to... Hallelujah. You're going to see more than you've ever seen. Hallelujah. And I declare it now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The past broken from you the past curses broken from you the past limits broken from you what people said about you not gonna work anymore hallelujah we're more than a conqueror say to at least three people you're more than a conqueror in Christ hallelujah amen amen Hallelujah. I'm also, I'm also seeing in my spirit that you're going to start coming into places and people are going to start asking, who is this person? They're going to see something about you. They're not going to understand what it is, but they're going to see you and they're going to say, what is something different about that person? I'm letting you know the anointing is being loosed in you, so expect that. You're going to come into places. They're not going to know how to deal with that and you're going to bring the word of the Lord and you're going to bring change to that environment. So get ready start releasing the prophetic in your midst don't release the complaint don't release I can't release the prophetic word because God's going to show you what to release over your home what to release in your job what to release over your children what to release over your spouses some of you need to lay hands on your children and declare the word of the Lord some of you need to lay hands on your spouses and declare the word of the Lord some of you need to go to your pocketbooks and declare the word of the Lord some of you need to go to work with oil and start anointing your desk and declare the word of the Lord over your job, over your relationship. You need to anoint your hands with oil and shake hands with your boss and say, I got grace and favor with my boss. You're going to go, what in the world is that? Say, don't worry, it's a good thing, it's a good thing. Hallelujah. Amen. 
those that dare to trust God today are going to have breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. Amen. Those that dare trust God this year are going to have breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. And what that means, what that means is every breakthrough that happens is going to come about spiritual warfare. You're going to pray and God's going to shift the situation. It's not going to come easy. You're not just going to walk in and you know, you know, and things are going to know. You're going to have to pray it. You're going to have to prophesy it. You're going to have to declare it. And then you're going to get, boom, the breakthrough. God's going to break the walls. God's going to cause enemies of your faith to be shut down. Principalities of house shut down. So use your faith. Use your mantle. Use your prophetic word, your prophetic edge. You have it. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you ready? Are you ready? It's time to prophesy. It's time to make declarations. It's time to declare the word of the Lord. It's time to go out like a, a prince and a princess like you are. A priest and a king like you are. So lift up your shoulders. Lift up your heads. You have no business walking around like this. You have no business walking around like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you are a child of the king. So walk like one, talk like one, act like one, because you are. Hallelujah. Amen? Come on, if you agree with me, just wave in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah.